Welcome to the Outthinker Podcast. Each week, we talk with forward-looking strategists and innovators that are challenging the status quo, leading the future of business, and shaping our world. I'm your host, Kyan Krippendorf, founder of the Outthinker Strategy Network. Emmanuel Probst is the global lead brand thought leadership at Ipsos. He's an adjunct professor at the University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA, and the author of the Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller, Brand Hacks, How to Build Brands by Fulfilling the Human Quest for Meaning. Emmanuel's background combines over 16 years of market research and marketing experience with strong academic achievements. At Ipsos, Emmanuel supports numerous Fortune 500 companies by providing them with a full understanding of their customer's journey. His clients span across a wide range of industries, including consumer packaged goods, retail, financial services, advertising agencies, and media outlets. Emmanuel also teaches consumer market research at UCLA and writes about consumer psychology for numerous publications. He holds an MBA in marketing from the University of Hull, United Kingdom, and a doctorate in consumer psychology from the University of Nottingham Trent in the UK. Here's the deal. Over and over again in this podcast, we are finding that strategy is shifting towards ecosystems. While we have found people who have thought deeply about how this shift is going to impact organizational design, leadership, and strategy, many of those people who have been on the podcast, we have yet to find someone who's really looking at the implications for branding. Emmanuel is one of very few people who popped up when we started looking for people who have researched and written about the topic. In this podcast, he shares in what ways B2B branding and B2C branding are different and in what ways they're actually the same. Why brands are increasingly finding they need to compete on purpose rather than on the uniqueness of their product. And what for me was a mind-blowing realization that to be effective in competing in the ecosystem-based future will depend on your ability to activate a community of companies bound by a common purpose to deliver experiences rather than outcomes. Ladies and gentlemen, Emmanuel Probst. Emmanuel, thank you so much for being here with us. It's great to have you. Okay, and thank you so much for having me on the show. We are here to talk about brand strategy. And since strategy is the topic here, what is your definition of strategy? It's about planning ahead in contrast with a tactic. Strategy is what are we going to do with the brand for the next three to five years, at least two to four. A tactic is how are we going to drive traffic to the website over the weekend so that we can report good numbers on Monday. So you talk, you write a lot about meaning. Can you tell us what you mean by meaning? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can define meaning in contrast with a fad and a trend. So most diets are fads simply because it's just not sustainable for us to eat just vegetables or I should say smoothies, for example, for the rest of your life. At some point, you're going to want a pizza or you're going to want a burger or you're going to want some fish or something. So as such, most diets are fads. And then a trend is something that will impact the market for a longer period of time. You can develop businesses around a trend and a trend could be Pilates. A trend is CrossFit. 
those are two co-working might be a bit of a trend as well. Those are trends whereby you develop brick and mortar businesses five, seven years lifespan, basically. Now, a meaning is something that has a deeper impact on us, something that is more purposeful and more meaningful in our lives. And what the book looks at, Brian Hacks, is what are the key meanings that people are trying to fulfill? And I'm choosing this word carefully, people, not consumers. What are you trying to achieve in life? Something that is more authentic, a sense of connection, a sense of nostalgia to connect you to your past and so on and so forth. From there, once we understand meaning, we can build brands that help fulfill those meanings and become meaningful in and of themselves. So those are different types of meanings, as you call them, right? Yes, indeed. So meanings are classified in terms of personal, social, and cultural meaning. Personal meaning is what do I do for me? Who am I and who do I want to become? Social meaning is how do I connect with my world around me? What are the brands, expressions, language, symbols I use to connect with people around me? And cultural meaning is about the world at large. So that's how, let's say, Airbnb does a really good job at fulfilling cultural meaning, whereby when you are a guest of Airbnb, the point is not really the bedroom. I mean, sure, you have a bedroom with a pillow, but you can get that from Marriott and from Hyatt and Hilton. That's fine. What Airbnb does is connects you to a host and to a local culture and fulfills your quests for meaning in terms of discovery and adventure. Got it. Got it. And I do want to dig into Airbnb and look at meaning and brand as it relates to businesses, because Airbnb does have business audience as well, you know, people who maybe own properties. But before we go there, you also talk about brand purpose. I just want to clarify, is brand purpose different than meaning? How does this relate? Well, meaning is really led by people. And again, I insist on this for people rather than consumers. People don't care about most brands and people don't care to acquire more goods or to have more adverts. What people care about is find something that is fulfilling and something that contributes to building their personality and who they are and their family and their world. And brands can help with this. What feels really important to me is the hero is the audience who becomes the consumer. The hero is not the brand. The brand is here, in my opinion, to facilitate this transformation from who you are to who you want to become. That's what's most meaningful. And then when we speak about purpose, most of the time we are looking at brand purpose. That is what is the purpose of a brand. And these days for most brands, their purpose has to go beyond, or at least brands must claim their purpose goes beyond creating value for shareholders. The purpose has to be most of the time about making a positive impact on consumers, on the world they live in and on the world at large. That's what brand purpose is about. Now, the key shift between now and prior to COVID is back in 2019, 2018, you could claim a purpose. Today, I feel the difference is as a brand, you have to demonstrate this purpose to put your money where your mouth is, if you will. That makes sense. And I can come up with some things. You know, there are large corporate brands that promise by 2050, we will have achieved something, right? And then there's always this question of like, what are you actually doing? Can you just give us an example to illustrate that? What you're saying is a good point. In sustainability, for example, you see a lot of brands saying, hey, we'll be carbon neutral by 2040, by 2035. Look, I understand, I appreciate that it is not something you can enable overnight as a brand. 
Because, of course, if you're an airline, that's a key example. If you're an airline and you're trying to reduce your carbon emissions, there are some massive implications in terms of your equipment, your aircrafts, and all that. At the same time, when you hear a CMO saying, we want to achieve blank by 2035 or by 2040, the likelihood of this executive being in place by then is slim to none. We know that the average tenure for CMO keeps decreasing. Most of them won't make it past 18 months. And that's a fact. That's not an opinion. So that's all to say that I think that it's great to have two types of initiatives, those long-term, almost moonshot initiatives, whereby you have a goal for 2035, and that's not all, and it's not but. It is and have more short-term goals. What are you going to do in 2022, 2023 that will resonate with your audience, that feels tangible for your audience, and that you can activate on straight away? So I would love to open up the conversation a little bit towards the B2B side, because I personally think that everything that you're talking about, these structures and the meaning and the promise all work on a B2B environment. But a lot of people say this is all consumer and the way business choices are made. If I want to attract businesses to my brand, that's more functional. That's more mathematical. What's your view on that? Yesterday, I was listening to a podcast with the CMO for Accenture Song, which is a very B2B brand. And to her point, her name escapes me, but I couldn't agree more when she said, we see more and more of the human aspect in brand advertising, in B2B advertising, in B2B brand strategy. And we often forget that B2B marketing starts with humans, just as consumer marketing does. And that, by the way, no matter how high up you are, if you're a CMO at a large organization, but you're a human and you're a consumer first. And there is a trend of humanizing B2B brands. And we do this by, for example, bringing more authentic pictures that is moving away from the stock pictures and the Colgate smile, if you will. And we do so by showing real footage of small and medium businesses, for example, right? So nobody wants to see an ad or some form of brand communication with some fake lemonade stand that we shot at a movie studio in Los Angeles. It is way more genuine to show a coffee shop owner or a personal training studio owner somewhere that is relatable in a community in the country. In the book, Brand Hacks, there is a whole chapter around imperfect is perfect, whereby you're better off showing this authenticity of what is really happening as opposed to something that's picture perfect because it's more relatable. So let's just take that a little bit further so I can see now how this applies to business that I want as a client or customer. But I want to expand it a little bit because a brand will have like a customer brand. That could be a B2B or BC. They have an employer brand. I want to work there because it's whatever. But also what we're increasingly seeing is there's the partner brand. And when you move away from, hey, I make a coffee machine, I'm going to partner with someone that makes cups, right? That's one kind of deal. But then when you start moving towards having lots of partnerships, like ecosystems, like Accenture, for example, you brought Accenture, 
they have a big ecosystem of other players, B2B businesses that want to collaborate with the Accenture ecosystem. And I did a little bit of looking into this. What is your take on ecosystem brand? As an example, can I have three different brands? Can I have a customer brand, an employer brand, and an ecosystem partner brand? Or do they have to be consistent? To add complexity to what you're saying, at times your brand can be just an ingredient and sometimes your brand is a standalone. And to answer your question is you should have, in my opinion, one overarching brand with one overarching brand purpose. From there, you can have a limited number of sub-brands and I insist on limited number of sub-brands because if you have too many branded offerings, too many brands, well, nobody can make sense of anything. And we see this with sometimes large technology brands. There are so many sub-brands that even internally, that's kind of ironic, they cannot differentiate their own brands and end up using shortcuts to use a brand in the name of a more general concept. So back to your question, well, you have partners, you have employers, you have consumers, your name brand is the same, your overarching purpose is the same, you just tweak this brand to appeal more to one audience or another, that again doesn't mean that you deny or undermine anything else you're doing for the other audiences. Once again, yeah, an employer brand, but before being an employer, your starting point as a touch point might be that you're a subscriber or a user or a client of the brand. Let's just say for sake of argument, that the brand is TikTok or Meta or Google, and you as TikTok want to attract new talents, well, in all likelihood, people coming to TikTok for a job interview will already be users of TikTok. So they've already had many touch points with the brand, many experiences with this brand. Yeah, so there's different stages of connection to the brand. And for all three, one company that I think does this really interesting well is this Chinese company Hire that owns GE appliances. You know, they sell refrigerators and appliances, but they're all connected internet devices and things. They did something really interesting where when COVID hit, they got chefs to make recipes for duck. And then they got farmers to provide the ducks. And they kind of like created this ecosystem to get farmers, shippers, so you can deliver the duck and then you can program the thing. And I can see now that there was an overarching purpose. Do you think about segment? Like, how do you segment? Because your partners are going to have very different needs, I would think, than your customers. They want to, are you easy to work with? Am I going to get a fair deal? Are you going to bring in customers? How do you approach that kind of segmentation? The example you mentioned is very compelling. I've not heard that before. It's compelling because it demonstrates the brand purpose and the strength of integration in this case, farm to table. And it demonstrates, it exemplifies how my brand and my product can contribute to you, my customer, but also to your local community and also demonstrate the purpose of the brand. Again, making a positive impact on the economy, economic recovery and the environment. And you can argue that by doing so, they even combat isolation, people being isolated at home. So what you are describing, I believe, is really the holy grail of I as a brand have a strong purpose. Not only do I claim that purpose, but I demonstrate that purpose through my actions. Oh, and by the way, those actions benefit everyone. That is my audience, my customer, the local community and the world. Oh, and of course, I make a profit because let's not lose track of what we're here for. So as such, I think that's very powerful. What you said around partnerships, look, that's very complicated. And frankly, that's a very big roadblock in sustainability 
in particular in brand purpose, simply because let's go back to an airline for a second, an airport rather. So Heathrow Airport claims that it will be carbon neutral, I think by 2030, which with all due respect for their initiative is a little bit ironic because an airport is by definition something that has a very strong negative impact on the environment. Now to their defense, there is only so much they control. And really, what do they control? They control the buildings. So they'll be carbon neutral on part of the airport that they operate and control the limitations of what an airport can do. Because, of course, you're not going to impose on all of your airlines to become carbon neutral by then. That's just not reasonable, not to mention that you don't have the authority to do so. So it's very hard, number one, to rally your ecosystem of partners around your purpose. And it's technically and legally just not possible. And it's also very hard, I feel, for brands to dance around what they should do in different parts of the world. So I'll give you an example this week with sports apparel brands. doesn't even matter if we're talking about Nike or Adidas or Under Armour. Take any of them, because I don't want to point fingers. They all have the same problem. Here's the deal. In North America, they need to show pride in June because it's Pride Month. That's how everyone's going to change its logo to show its support for the LGBTQ plus community. And rightly so, and it's nicely done. Fast Track Freemans, all these brands will have to support or will take part in one fashion or another in the FIFA World Cup. The trouble is the FIFA World Cup is being hosted this year in a country where homosexuality is illegal. And conversely, what sports apparel brand, what major brand could put the plug on FIFA soccer? You see what I mean? So that illustrates the complexity and frankly, the dilemma. I wouldn't call it an hypocrisy, but a dilemma that brands have to deal with to balance. It's dilemma. Yeah. Fascinating. I have so many more questions, but I know that we're reaching the top of our time. I'm so maybe, fire away. Okay. Is developing and managing a brand for an ecosystem different than how you organize to manage a brand for a product or a company? It is. And regardless of the revenue, that's where traditional brands have it easier than technology brands or newer brands. So let me describe. If you're in CPG and your product is Clorox, for example, well, Clorox does bleach. And guess what? They compete with Target Up and Up and a few private labels. Clorox is bleach. And okay, you do wipes as well. The point is like you're in the cleaning category. It's very clear. I can establish a competitive set for your five, six, seven brands. That's what you do. Then under the Clorox umbrella, you also have Kingsford. Well, guess what? They do charcoal. They have 60 plus percent of the market. So they have few competitors. And then they have Brita filter and so on and so forth. The point I'm making is those categories are very clearly defined. That's not to say it's easy to compete, but they are clearly defined. In the context of an ecosystem brand, that becomes a lot more complex. We're going to think about Equinox, for example, health clubs. We can argue that Equinox health clubs competes with Planet Fitness and LA Fitness. And they do. That's fine. However, they also operate soul cycle. They also operate hotels. They're also getting into personal training and more one-on-one type of services. And now who do you compete with in that ecosystem? 
And the most complex being the technology brands. And again, forget about the revenue for sake of argument for a second. It's not so much how big they are. It has to do with the diversity of needs they fulfill. What business is Amazon in? Is Amazon a retailer? Is Amazon a cloud platform? Is Amazon an advertising platform? Is Amazon a fulfillment platform? Is Amazon a grocer? And the answer is Amazon is all of you above. And depending on what business unit, if you will, you want to consider, your competitive set is very different. And I guess then the competitive set depends, I would think, on what is in the mind of the consumer, the end users choosing, right? So they might sit you, I guess, what are they sitting on the other side of Equinox when they're choosing the Equinox Hotel? It's interesting. Exactly. And that is driven by needs and wants, not the competitive set. A good example of this is in alcoholic beverages, whereby you could consider vodka in isolation from gin and beer. So you could say Tito's competes with Absolute and Grey Goose and Belvedere. And you could argue in jeans that Bombay Sapphire competes with London Dry Gin what we see in contrast is that's not the way consumers think of those categories. They shop based on occasions. That is, July 4th is coming up and I'm going to host a barbecue party at my house. What do I need? I'm going to need some light beers. I'm going to need some seltzers because it's refreshing. I'm going to need some gin to make gin and tonic. I'm going to buy some tonic as well and some lemons. My point is my shopping mission when I'm going to go to a liquor store. In this context, I'm shopping based on occasion. I am not shopping on Budweiser versus Absolute versus Miller Lite. Conversely, if I want to host an intimate dinner at home, a quality dinner, that's when I'm going to buy some champagne. That's when I'm not going to consider Budweiser at all. We're going back to what are consumers trying to achieve in the context of a very tactical mission. That mission is my barbecue party on July 4, or in the context of something that is more meaningful, who am I trying to become? Based on this and based on our understanding of what people are trying to achieve, that is how we can better advertise and better market products and brands. That opens up a whole nother dimension. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, I was thinking about how do we market and attract the right partners. But another person I interviewed, he said, we're shifting towards not products or even value propositions, but experiences. I kind of hear that in there. So we have this remix of different ecosystem partners that are creating an experience or configuring experience. And now what you're saying is for that particular occasion. Yes. And because the truth is very few products stand out in and of themselves. If you remove the brand and if you remove the emotional connection between the audience and the brand, and again, I'm choosing this word audience carefully, not consumers, the audience and the brand. If you remove the experience, the distinctive brand assets and the experience that comes with the brand, frankly, you have in most categories, not all of them, you'll have virtually nothing left. Let's go back to alcoholic beverages. I will challenge any of our listeners today and you and I to confidently differentiate Bud Light from Miller Light from Coors Light. I will challenge any of us to confidently differentiate Belvedere from Ciroc from Smirnoff from Tito's. Not to mention that once you add the ice cube and the temperature of the drink and the mixers, well, now you couldn't tell, right? And that is why private labels are growing so well at the expense 
kinds of name brands. That is, if you're in market for a product and that product can be bleach or it can be ketchup or it can be mayonnaise or mustard, the likelihood in a blind test of making the difference between targets up and up versus Costco's Kirkland versus a name brand, it's not going to happen. So that's where you need to offer more of an emotional connection and more of a meaningful connection as part of your brand and your ecosystem. And I can imagine that the ecosystem partners, they shape the perception of the end user audience. You know, if I know that this company is partnered with Virgin, then I know that they are irreverent and provide great customer service. If this partner is partnered with Apple, I know that it's going to work or you know something like that. Exactly 100%. Absolutely. That's where being selective in terms of what brands join the ecosystem is so important. Absolutely. This is fascinating, fascinating. And we just, I think, opened up just the beginning of something, at least for me. It's obviously you've been thinking about this, but for me, and I think for hopefully for many of the audience, this is like, wow. But I know that we are reaching the top of our time. So is there anything that you want to say, anything you didn't get to say? This was a really pleasant conversation, Kayan. And thank you again for having me on the show. And thank you to our listeners for joining us today. I think the key takeaway is try to balance this tactical outcome with this short-term vision for your brand. The truth is we all have goals to hit for the year and for the quarter and sometimes for the month and sometimes for the week. So by no means am I suggesting that you should lose track of those tactical outcomes. Conversely, they're very shallow in and of themselves. You can drive traffic this week and you can drive traffic next week and purchase. That's not how you create a brand. So the parting advice, if you will, is to artfully and scientifically manage this balance between the brand and the action. How can people follow you, connect with you? Certainly, we're going to recommend that they find your book. I know you write on other platforms. What's the best way for people to be part of your ecosystem? Yeah, thank you, Brian. So my name is Emmanuel Probst, and you can connect with me on LinkedIn. In fact, I invite you to do so, and I'm simply under my real name, <laughs> Emmanuel Probst. And the book is called Brand Hacks, How to Build Brands by Fulfilling the Consumer Quest for Meaning. And of course, the book's available on Amazon, as well as Barnes and & Nobles and plenty of other good places. You can find a lot of my writing and thinking at ipsos.com. The good news is everything's free. You don't need to pay or there is no paywall of any kind. And as you suggested, when we started this conversation, you'll find a lot of content around brand ecosystems and purpose and sustainability and tech and DTC, e-commerce, omni-channel, multi-channel strategy. Anyway, you can find a lot of my writing and thinking at ipsos.com and from also many of contributors at Ipsos. Thankfully, I'm not the only one. There are a lot of great, very talented people at Ipsos that make their thinking available to you, the audience, completely free of charge. So I would encourage you to visit that resource. Emmanuel, thank you for sharing all of that, for the research you do, and for taking some time here to share it with us in person. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you, Gaia. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to our producers, Karina Reyes and Zach Ness, our editor, and the rest of the team. If you like what you heard, please follow, download, and subscribe. I'm your host, Kaihan Krippendorf. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week with another episode of OutThinkers.